Hello, diary listeners. Happy Tuesday. Uh, This week, I am going to record a personal entry. We are calling this week's diary entry with me, Permitted. And uh, yeah, you'll know why in a little bit. Welcome to the Apprenticeship Diaries, where raw meets refined. Let's be real, we're still working on refined. <laughs> what it took, what it takes, and the stories that are made. Join us as we learn from professionals about how their stories begin. Listeners, uh, this I don't anticipate this to be very long. I just wanted to check in with all of you. Um, as you well know, I'm trying to be more present on the podcast as uh, your host, as somebody that you can get to know as a personality. For those of you who have been following the podcast for, you know, as long as we've been going, this, you know, none of this will probably be necessary, but for anybody who's new to listening, um, I like to think that these, uh, diary entries that are personal of mine kind of, kind of let you know who you're listening to and, you know, uh, whether or not you want to continue listening to me. Uh, but recently I have been doing something that's pretty fun and something that I think is really good to do. I have been trying to officialize my uh, gun safety awareness and particularly handgun uh, safety and uh, getting handgun permitted here in Maryland. And uh, as much as the laws are constantly changing, right now uh, you still need an HQL in order to purchase a handgun. That is in the process of being struck down to get a handgun. But in the meantime, I'm not, I'm not really against any of these things because, um, well, it, the damage is already done as far, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and I'll go into that in a second, but a lot of the reasons why people are resistant to an HQL is because, Uh, One of the things that you have to do uh, with that particular uh, permit and licensure is get fingerprinted and be on a registry registry, uh, that can be looked up. Um, Now, the premise being that, and and I do happen to agree with this, that you, you, you should fingerprint criminals, um, now there's, there's two modes of thought, you know, um, if, if you're easily accessed and looked up, then that can be used in the case that you go missing or something happens to you. Um, but then there's also the whole, like, why do they need all that information on me? What did I do? I don't, I'm trying to be a concerned citizen. I'm trying to be responsible, yada, yada, yada. So, um, my general philosophy is that all of this stuff is, um, you know, it's like a, it's like the whole question about tattooing and this profession in terms of, uh, 
you know, the, the idea of whether or not there should be schools or, um, licensure per the state and certain amount of regulation and, and things like that. For example, I am actually, and the reason why I said that I'm, I'm kind of already screwed in this way is that I had to be fingerprinted in order to be licensed in Rhode Island. Um, so I am a Rhode Island licensed tattoo artist. And in order for me to have that done for my profession, I had to have a legal background check done on me. I had to pay like $35 to have them run my fingerprints. And then basically I had to have a a form sent in that was a legal background check to Rhode Island State Board and they had to clear me and they had to say, okay, you know, you're fine. We'll give you a license because you don't have any black marks against you. So just to give a example, and that's why I'm saying that I, I think that it's, I'm already, I'm already in the database. They already have my fingerprints. And so it's already done for me. So that's kind of why I'm taking the position I am. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a very even balance of things. Um, overall, my general perspective is now having gone through multiple forms of schooling, education, licensure, etc., is that the, these things, um, are, they ultimately end up hurting only the good people, the people who never dared uh, be irresponsible or hurtful in general. Um, essentially, the way to break this down in a nutshell is, is that if you're looking to thwart the system, you would never, you would never, like... You would never call a place and be like, well, what are what are the boundaries here? Like, you wouldn't even care about the boundaries. It's like the same as people in their tattoo shops that that uh, post signage everywhere. And, you know, they think it's going to corral um, delinquency. Like, um, you know, don't be like this. Use this door. Fact of the matter is, is that if people were prone to reading, uh, as a, I don't know, as a word of thumb or like a a rule of thumb. And if they were the kind of person who observed something before they jumped right into it, they would not be the problem that they are. So while she might catch on a few people by posting signage and, you know, you, you might educate a few people in that way. The majority of people who were your problem will continue to be your problem after you've taken this added step to try to corral things. And essentially, you know, if, if you're dealing with somebody who just is going to do what they want regardless. And, and they're kind of motivated that way. And they're really, you know, personally motivated to do what they want. You know, and their only reasons are because they want to, 
you're not really going to have much ability to affect that mind and bring them to more of a conscientious communal sense of awareness because that's not how they're wired anyway. Um, it isn't to say that that person is beyond changing. I think it's just hubris to think that you're going to have much chance of doing that with a sign or with a licensure or with any of these other things that um, people try to enact to kind of wrangle the situation. I do think that there's a balance and I do think that there is there is a good reason for all of these things in a grand sense but it's but it's all basically about accountability uh I think and I I I think that that's what I'm learning as I'm um as I'm kind of going through um, these courses for gun safety, uh, the first one I took, and and I do want to shout out both companies that I have been working with. Uh, they're both excellent. And, um, I would like to talk to everybody a little bit about them and kind of give you guys like a, a few things that you might not have been aware of just, you know, offhand as a, um, you know, as just something that you might not have known that might prick your interest and want you, you know, to go and, and get get your permits and do these things in uh, respect because there's a lot of education that you are exposed to. And I, I definitely, for me, uh, want to know, like, I, I, I want to know even beyond what the what the rules are. I want to know, I want to have like a practical knowledge of the things that I'm, um, doing. And I also want to see how they're teaching, what the regulations are, how well the regulations work, you know, what the boundaries of all these things are. But I, I do want to shout out the two places. So the first thing I did was do my Utah, uh, carry permit, which is, um, uh, it allows you uh, basically a, a, a blanket uh, quali- qualification for 36 states, at, at least as of right now, 30 um, really solidly. I think it's because they're constitutional carry states, um, but 36 in general. And the one that it, that it covers that Maryland actually doesn't cover, which Maryland covers a lot of them too, is Delaware. Delaware is a weird, quirky state that you have to have, um, I don't know, like, like extra, extra, I guess, training or, or permits with, but, but Utah is the, um, if you really want to overarchingly just be, um, you know, like accepted, like once you get your Utah and your Maryland, you can just like cross into PA, you can show them a picture of your, or show them your, your license. And, and they'll issue a license within their state, like same day, if not next day. So um, you're able to get a lot of qualifications to basically carry a gun on you um, in many different states and be cleared in many different states um, to carry a weapon on you 
if you get your Utah. So I did that one first and I did that at Grab Firearms in Westminster with Glenn, Glenn Clinton, a fantastic instructor. He was phenomenal. They have a a really nice setup there. It's um, what I liked about his class was it was very practical. He, um, you know, they, they have a whole uh, room where you can actually do clearing situations and it's, it's hands-on. It's very, very visceral and very um, clear. He also ran a few simulations and used himself as uh, as as kind of the the lamb to the slaughter. I actually shot him in the hand with a uh, with an air rifle in one of the situations. And basically, what we were running through was the uh, twenty one. Uh, is it 21 yards or 21 feet? I think it's 21 feet. Uh, 21 yards is quite a bit more. Um, the 21 feet rule, which basically is, um, you know, within 21 feet, you're dealing with somebody who has the ability to hurt you. And actually, I think from what I learned from Guntree, Maryland, through their instructor, Jason, I, f- I forget his last name, but I think he's the only person there named Jason. He's been instructing there for a very long time. Um, He was phenomenal. Uh, Both classes were phenomenal. They're they're just, uh, they're different in how they kind of break them down and what they do with them. Um, The gun tree is an actual shooting range. So you're able to use live ammunition there and things like that. Whereas grab firearms is more about running simulations as far as I can tell. And, um, they do a lot more like hands on stuff that kind of is training and, and kind of gets you, I think, used to a body to body kind of training, like where you're tangibly, um, you know, interacting with the things that you're practicing. Whereas, Guntry is more of, they, they have fancy simulations. So they have a whole simulator that you can go into and run like, uh, different kind of scenarios. And you can actually, uh, hook yourself up to a, um, uh, an electrical device so that you can get stunned basically, um, to basically simulate what you would do under duress. Like if you got, if you got shot, um, what your reaction would be under that kind of pressure and scenario. So it's the, both of them have very good, um, I'd say, uh, opportunities to simulate different things. Um, both are very thorough training environments. Um, country is just more fancy. As far as I can tell, they have a cafe in there where you can get lunch. Like you can spend an afternoon at country just, uh, you know, shooting weapons, trying different weapons, um, renting different weapons. Uh, I think that grab is a little bit more about, um, self-defense and less gun centered and more self-defense centered. It's a lot more from what I could tell, um, really practical kind of applications of the things that you're going to learn. Uh, gun tree is more gun centered. Uh, so that, that, that's what my take home was from both of them. Like I said, both great in their own right. I still have my practical shooting time with gun tree coming up this Saturday. Uh, I have to get 
a 72, I think, uh, percentile on my shooting in order to actually pass and get permitted. Um, I feel fairly confident about that. I don't know if that's false confidence. We'll see. Um, excuse me. I'm drinking some tea. Um, I, th I don't think that's false confidence, but we'll see. I, um, you know, I, I, I've been shooting a weapon ever since I was a young person, but I've, I've always learned, uh, more of the practical application and, and I learned from my dad and I've shot many different kinds of weapons. And now with Rico, with muzzle loaders, I'm getting a, a, a very nice ability to watch and participate in black powder rifles, which is really cool. Um, a thing about me that I, I'm kind of like is that I like being kind of bad at something and me kind of confronting how good or bad I am at something makes me want to do it more, especially now that I have taken on podcasting and um, uh, parts of my life where I'm not really the best, but it's fun discovering things and it's fun kind of being humbled by how little you really know. And I think a lot of that started when I started uh, confronting my fears. Uh, it all it all began with public speaking, and realizing how how bad my fear was with that, and kind of walking into that space and just resubmitting myself again and again to the suck. And then after that, it was jujitsu, which I did a year of, and. I don't, I don't think I've been more humbled, uh, than jujitsu. Um, but that was exceedingly good for me because I was able to redefine my body in a way that I never realized I could, that I had abilities that I didn't realize that I had. I discovered muscles that I, I didn't realize that were essential for doing certain movements. I've since lost a lot of those things, but just the awareness that I can actually tackle some of those things and what is required in order to get that back is amazing. And then also just as, as I'm talking about the weaponry kind of thing, what I'm actually like under certain duress, um, I realized I panic quite a bit, um, a lot more than you think you ever will. Uh, cause, cause you're, you're just simply not put in these scenarios and until you are, you really don't know, you don't have perspective for any of these things. I mean, just for example, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how, uh, utterly, uh, heavy, uh, a person can be like when they don't aim to let up on you when they are seeking to fully attack you, how heavy a body can be. Um, I've lifted things that, you know, weren't living anymore like animals. And it's different when there isn't life in anything anymore. What you realize is that your animals were, again, they, when, when they were able to articulate their, their movements and stuff, they, they didn't put their full weight on you or anything, but when you feel something that's just literal dead weight, um, the, the, the amount that that feels like it's crazy and you're feeling it all at once. And then 
on on the more aggressive end of that when that dead weight is um actively trying to be heavy i'm sorry guys if you're hearing a lot of sound uh that would be rico walking around upstairs he is and as we're talking about weight he's now officially 250 pounds so that's my house dealing can you hear it <laughs> dealing with him i mean it's just like i have a bull walking around my house perpetually um god love him <laughs> but yeah uh speaking of weight it was kind of appropriate so now if you guys hear that i i can't control it um it, it's just my house and and that's another thing like um you know, within all this conversation of like preparedness and stuff, like when, when you start tackling these things, you start looking at scenarios and your lifestyle in a much different way. One thing that I do like about my house is that it isn't soundproof. Um, I know it's a bummer for recording and you get a lot of, um, background noise that, you know, is not really ideal for this kind of thing, but but as far as like a survival, safety, all that stuff kind of thing, I, um, kind of thing, stuff kind of thing, um, in that respect, I have really appreciated my house because uh, it's not soundproof at all. I can hear things that take place in my house all the way from up top of my house in the very, very, very top of my house. I can hear things that are happening in the basement. So... I kind of like that because, uh, I know that being, you know, in the highest point of my house is a advantageous place. You know, they, they always talk about in situational kind of attacks being on high ground. Uh, that's what that's really about. So when you start thinking about this tactical maneuvering and strategy, it, it puts your brain in a much different space than it's used to thinking about. Um, and again, that's a balance too, because I don't think that you should be too defensive, um, but you should be ready to defend. And if you're a kind of person who just thinks that you're never, ever, ever going to incur a situation where you will have to defend, I think that's when you really get severe trauma and really bad incidences where it just takes so long for you to recover because you're just caught completely off guard. And, um, you know, if, if there's one thing, this podcast, I think I try to aim for when I'm putting out diary entries is to inform you guys and kind of let you know a little bit about what you're in for when you take on a pursuit of passion. Uh, that's why I've kind of let this span even beyond tattooing though tattooing as a prime focus because that's where I'm coming from but even you know other other spaces that you might go to where you know it's just a pursuit of passion and just understanding that you know these kind of things are the fetters to anything that you want to do um fences essentially you know, speaking of what's permissible and permits and licensures and stuff, it, it's just basically a fence or a wall or a boundary. And it's, it's a deterrent for those who can be easily deterred. So, so that's the effectiveness of it. But a boundary does not really work against anybody who is adamant 
about crossing or railroading boundaries. And it doesn't work for people who are um, passionate enough to jump over some hurdles to get to what they want. So that that's kind of where my view of boundaries and permissibility lies is that I like a fence. I like a wall. I like a deterrent. I like something that will kind of, you know, uh, screen who is most passionate and who is just adamantly not, not interested. And I'd rather not field the full extent of interest that people might have I'd rather deal with the most passionate, the most wanting. And that comes down to every single point of my, my philosophy. It, it is in just in gaining my clientele too. Um, I'm going to take another sip. So pardon me for being rude. And for this moment. So I, um, I posted recently on next door, which is a social space for neighbors and neighborhoods, I wanted to inform the people that are around me that might be, I don't know, seeking tattoos or wanting to get a tattoo of the status of licensure in Maryland, which is essentially that there isn't one. I wanted them to be aware of that. I wanted them to uh, ask me any questions if they had any about uh, any of that because... Um, you know, I, I think that it's a space of needing a conversation and, and wanting to be open and honest with people about what actually is happening here in the state, what the observances are, how much risk do they have to actually assume, you know, what, what exactly is um, the, the, the current lay of the land and what will they actually trespass when they or traverse, rather, I guess not trespass, traverse, uh, if they seek a tattoo. And I, um, I put that out there. I also said, you know, let me be clear about what regulation is, what it, what it typically does. It, it starts out with this very big overarching sense of safety and, you know, doing the right thing. And I told people, I said, over time, that gets watered down and it becomes a bureaucratic nightmare to which the people who are actually enforcing all of the rules don't know anything about the, the current profession. It's just they're, they're enforcing these rules that they don't even know why they're enforcing them. They're just doing a job. And then the, bureau, the bureaucratic mess to get through all that stuff to even change the licensure or drop certain things becomes such a such a crazy inside thing because for example with the board of cosmetology that's where most like tattoo regulation kind of goes through is the cosmetology boards they they usually just branch off of those and create departments for tattooing and things like that uh just currently right now to petition the board of cosmetology to start a talk about regulation and things like that i think it's a $5000 buy-in just to consult them and start talking about regulation so 
When you think about how much money it costs you just to propose the idea of regulation, you soon realize who ends up being the kind of people who do it. And it's usually power, power structures that have a lot of money, uh, typically speaking, and this will be the case for Maryland too, it's product companies who will gain a lot of momentum or distributors that will gain a lot of momentum by selling products. And they'll start developing products. They'll start wanting you to use the products that they, they themselves develop. Then they will have enough money to actually petition the boards. They'll start creating schools and things like that to actually teach and sell their products. And then they're going to corral all of the regulatory law to basically center around needing their products in order to qualify for the licensure or needing some certified, you know, like a certificate through their school in order to be technically licensed in order to perform the, the specific, um, practice and that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you lose your professional uh, status. So say you've been tattooing for 20 years and you have no interest in um, being involved in legislature. In fact, you're happy that there isn't anything really corralling that. You have taught many people how to do what you do responsibly. In fact, it's so responsible that... It, that you have been able to avoid licensure in your state or any kind of regulation in your state because the knowledge has become, is so sacred and so evenly and fairly and responsibly delved out that there has not been an issue enough to even wave any flags about, you know, why would you would even need regulation? Um, that that you just don't even think to do that because you're more interested in doing a good job for your profession than you are than you are about trying to just make gobs of money and, and corner a market on something, which is ultimately what regulation ends up becoming. It becomes a pay to play kind of thing. It becomes something that is um I mean it goes beyond uh, a wall at that point. A lot of the times it's really, it doesn't quality control so much as it, it does just make it something that where you have to, you have to pay to get over a certain hoop. And then, you know, anybody who doesn't is on the wrong side of, of the regulatory board and legal system. And it has nothing to do with how good they are. It just has everything to do about, how much they played ball. Um, so, uh, you know, within that, it's kind of the same with the gun, the gun conversation. Um, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, I've been around people who practically know so much about, about weapons and guns and from different times in our, in our country where, the laws were much different and it was a lot more accessible for you to gain access to, to weaponry and to own it. And they were really responsible and very knowledgeable 
um, my dad being one of them. I mean, I started shooting when I was around like, it was like 10 years old. I think I was, um, I started shooting. It was nothing crazy. It was a 22, which is a, a kind of caliber that doesn't have a lot of recoil. It doesn't jostle you when you fire it. And it's something that you can very much so as a young person kind of be educated with a weapon. And the whole premise is if you're going to have a weapon in the house, you have to make sure that everybody is educated about it. And that's, that's how we learned, you know, it was never, it was never anything that, that we were kept from. And when you start learning about weaponry as a young kid, you're automatically shown how, how much it can actually cause damage. And, um, you know, honestly, when I started shooting, I did not, I didn't, I didn't have any interest in really doing it on my own or being proficient at it because it, it was, it was something that was very clear to me that it was dangerous right away. And, um, you know, now my brother who, who was around that timeline with me of learning with me, um, is now a dad and he has kids that, that he's introducing to all of this stuff. And I remember when his child was, uh, his first child was very young, uh, not ready to start shooting yet. He, he wanted to go out shooting with all of the boys and he was like, Oh, Amy, I'm not scared. I, I'm ready. And I was like, well, see you, dude, that's the problem. You're not scared. And that's the thing with shooting guns is that you, you should be scared. Um, it is, it is a, a weapon that, you know, is meant to do very, very distinct things. It's basically a very powerful hole puncher and it will destroy things that it is aimed at. And there is a right amount of fear to have and, and respect to have of that weapon. And when you say you're not scared, that lets me know that you're not ready because you need to be scared. Um, it's a scary thing. And so he learned later on, uh, gun safety. Uh, he's actually a part of, um, Boy Scouts. And so they go through all of that stuff. He's a very refined and responsible young man at this point. Um, but yeah, like these things, I think you, you have to have a balance in how you see them and you have to really, really understand what your boundaries are within all of these concepts and what will actually, um, work for you. I, I like how a lot of these, um, these training sessions have gone because in, at grab, it was very situational. It was very much so what can you handle as a person? What, what is your determination as well as teaching the rules? Um, which I loved. It was very thorough and, uh, actually, um, put me on to a few things that you can do, uh, at your home. They sell a laser, a laser bullets that you can have where it just emits a laser and you can practice shooting and accuracy of shooting with your weapon and familiarity within your own home. Um, which was really cool. Uh, so I did order one of those cause I was like, Oh, this is sick. 
Um, there's also like um, dummy dummy bullets where you can practice loading and unloading and things like that to to really teach about how to how to handle your weapon and things like that. So I really appreciated that about grab. Same thing with Guntry. They were really big about teaching about the gun. More of that, I think, is going to happen next week when we actually get into shooting. Um, but with Guntry, it was... The biggest thing was like, hey, understand where this is going to lead to ultimately. When you are a person who's carrying, you are officially... Um, held responsible for knowing the full gravity of what this ultimately can get to. And a lot of the, a lot of the situational stuff that people were kind of bringing up as to what would be justifiable to use your weapon, it really just came down to how will this go in court? And is this a decision that you want to leave up to a jury? And so it was very hammered. You don't use your weapon unless there is a distinct attack on your personage, like bodily. Is this person aiming to kill you, uh, violently hurt you, rape you, those kind of things? If that is not the case, it's not justifiable. If there is any other way that you could have gotten out of it, not justifiable. So for instance, if they're carjacking you and it's as simple as just handing over your keys and walking away, that that's what you need to do. Um, you're not, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to pull out your weapon to keep your car, uh, let the car go. Um, and especially in places like Maryland, Maryland is a, a place that, uh, it, you know, like, you're, you're, you're going to be scrutinized, uh, for how you defend yourself and what is seen as a basically justifiable cause for the actions you take. So, um, and that was another thing that was brought up is that know that if you take any kind of force like that with somebody, you will be arrested because it will be a matter of proving your innocence at that point. And, um, that was the other thing that was great about um, Guntry was that they brought in a USCCA representative, um, which is basically an organization. They'll they'll train uh, people who teach gun safety and things like that. I don't know how much actual practical knowledge they have to have in order to be certified to teach gun safety and awareness, but I did actually become a member of USCCA or USCCA is the, the acronym, um, because they are essentially, they, they really back you up in moments where you might need backup legally, uh, when being a gun carrying person, it's just like, it's just like buying any kind of insurance really. Um, but if you're, if you're going to carry a gun, it's probably best that you have it. Um, they, They'll, they'll offer you the best lawyers if you're ever in a situation like that. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing to just kind of know about, about any of these kind of 
regulatory bodies. I think people think that the more laws that there are, the less things will happen. And yeah, uh, to some extent, um, but morality really hits legality at a certain point because for instance, if you come across a situation where a woman is being beat up by a man, the moral thing that you would be asked to do is to run in, insert yourself and try to defend that person who's being beat up, especially if it's a a fair entity like a woman and she's really getting, you know, roughed up by a much stronger person. Legally speaking, it's better if you don't interfere, you call 911, you wait for emergency services to get there and, you know, videotape, try to be a good witness. Um, but essentially you might have to you might have to actually just stand there and witness a murder, potentially. You might have to stand there and witness somebody get beat to death. That's the the legally more advantageous place to be. And so a lot of this is about training you about what to do in situations that that are to avoid certain legal repercussions, but whether or not it's morally okay that's something that you're you're going to have to decide for yourself and you're going to have to be for yourself. And, you know, I, I like how uh, the instructor at Guntree put it. He said, you know, whatever you might save in legal fees, you might actually have to spend in getting a therapist in, in the long run based on what you might actually witness. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, you got to make your choices, but they go through a few scenarios where, you know, do you run in and help? And a lot of those scenarios, you might not actually know the reality of the situation. And so you might actually be causing more harm than you are helping. And, uh, it's important, it's important to know, you know, what you're doing. And, you know, that, this brings me back to tattooing. You know, when I first started tattooing and I was apprenticing first, I was really upset that they didn't have tattoo schools and, you know, this wasn't something available to artists and to people who were really into art. And I just didn't understand why. And my mentor at the time, you know, this is the second time with uh, John that I was learning. He said, you know, you don't want all that because what will happen is, is that regulation will get out of control. They'll start making rules that don't actually matter, that don't really, really, you know, help our profession. It becomes a pay to play kind of thing. Like all the things that I'm saying now. And he said, you won't want that. And that won't be good. And I didn't understand it at the time. I was just like, you know, I was thinking about it just in the nicest terms and the most innocent, you know, terms, not thinking what, what, you know, wolf in sheep's clothing would take that as an, as an advantage to make money off of a bunch of good people with nothing but stars in their eyes and the best intentions. Um, and you know, he was right. He was 100% correct. And, you know, I've, I've since learned that it's a very delicate balance between playing ball, uh, 
keeping your awareness up, kind of understanding how far these legalities go in terms of what it means and what it will provide you. And I think the the biggest thing that I can say is that you just want to keep learning. You want to keep submitting yourself over and over and over to the suck, to being a student of life, to educating yourself, revisit, revisit, revisit again. Um, you know, and, and so as much as I am a person who has shot weaponry since I was a very young person, for me, it was important for uh, myself to go and actually officially get permitted in these things. Um, and as a, as a woman, as somebody who is a sole proprietor, as somebody who likes to travel and I'm going to be doing more traveling in my future. And I, I really like cars. I really like drive driving. Um, I, I think it's important for me to have the responsibility of knowing how to defend myself with a gun and just know what's best and be regularly practiced in that area. Um, I am trying to encourage uh, the people of my community to do the same thing. Um, just my little area of, um, you know, that I, that I live in in Knowings Mills, trying to put it out there, shout out the spaces that I'm learning from. Um, but it is expensive y'all like it's, um, to be, to take these classes. I think they're, they're 150 a piece, um, $150 a piece, not for the Utah. The Utah was 95. The actual permit is like, I think it's like $65 um, that you get charged on top of the class. Um, in order to do my course at Guntree, um, if you have to rent a weapon, um, it, it's like, and buy ammo, it's like around 60 some dollars. Um, and that's just to pass and take the course and actually, you know, show your proficiency. And then I'm sure there's a whole other charge on top of it for the actual application. Um, and then there's renewal fees. There's fees that if you change location, like if your address changes, it's like $20 to change your address on your permit. And they're just like fees on fees on fees. Um, and still, if you do jury duty, they only pay you $15 a day, <laughs> which I just love. Um, but, you know, this this whole podcast, I really just wanted you guys to know about the few places and the few uh, companies that I have been uh, submitting myself to. It's been very refreshing to be in a classroom setting again. I have to admit that I thoroughly love learning. I thoroughly love being in a classroom. I think if I won the lottery, that's all I'd do. Um, the other thing that, that has been a regular thing that I actually had to miss the other day, but it's just become, in the few times that I've been able to make it, such a great thing is doing the Monday night exercises on reinventing the tattoo. Please, 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 please do it. Um, you'll thank yourself a million times over. It is really not expensive for the kind of education that you're going to get, the kind of access that you're going to get to 
very hands-on critique and influence of other tattoo artists. Sandy is amazing. She leads most of the conversations. Also Killian, Killian Moon, who's been on here, um, does a lot of continuing education there. Guy Atchison will sometimes drop in. I mean, that is like, he is like uh, the godfather of so much in this industry. If you're an artist and you just want to know more about tattooing, if you're a tattoo artist and you just want to keep scaling, which I hope you do, um, it's just a, a great way to keep yourself fresh. I know recently I had a tattoo that I thought I had planned everything and it just, it, it really wasn't, it didn't work out the way I had wanted it to. It's not bad. I still get, get rave reviews from anybody who looks at it, but you know, it, it didn't go as I thought. And now my client is asking about different things that we can do for it. And that's not really what I want is that to have already have lines committed to a tattoo and we're trying to change it as we're going. That's something I really try to avoid. But now that I'm doing the regular Monday night exercises, I can, I can tackle that a lot better because I have other eyes looking at my work and critiquing my work. And, you know, it makes me feel good that if, if I'm not able to come up with something that I can at least let other tattoo artists look at it and see what they have to say and offer my clients uh, that kind of extra insight into what they're getting. So yeah, I know this is a lot of like, back and forth talk between guns between tattooing. Uh, I think it's kind of funny that for a long time, our tattoo machines were called tattoo guns. So I, I, I think the, the cross pollination is kind of nice. Um, but I, I just want to, I guess, wrap this up by saying that um, the more education that you can have in things, the more that you can actually submit yourself to your fears, walk into them, do it slowly and do it measured and expose yourself enough to just to have a very real perspective of what you're doing and submit yourself to classes and things like that guided by people who have been doing it for a very long time. I, I think that that's the best way to go about stuff um, and keep yourself limber, you know, ready for it, you know, just having a permit or just having a piece of paper or just having something like this is not going to allow you to stay current in the things that you're doing. Um, you know, for example, I, I am currently licensed as a master barber, but if I were to, I don't know, like at this point I could technically teach somebody how to be a barber and I could guide somebody through that. But I haven't been a professional barber for over a decade. And before I were to do anything like that, I'd want to work as a barber for at least a year to get to get in touch with the current technology, the current things that people are doing to have a rhythm of, you know, what everybody experiences as a present day professional. Like I, I wouldn't just because I'm licensed doesn't mean that I am savvy in what is currently going on. Um, same thing with color and things like that. You know, the color systems that they have, the technology within hair color, 
um, you know, body waves, perms, you know, these, these chemical processes that they come up with all the time, these things advance continually. Um, the tools that are used continually. I remember when ionic hair dryers came out, um, you know, ceramic flat irons and things like that, you know, just different products, different technology that comes out that really does influence what, what you're able to do on your own as a person and what you can actually sell and provide for your clients to scale the service. These are things that I am not aware of currently. Um, so I, I would, I would have to resubmit myself to those kind of things before I would ever feel comfortable putting myself in the same running as anyone else. And, and that brings me to in tattooing because I'm a sole proprietor. That's the reason why I like to travel. I like to do regular guest spots. I hope everybody understands that as much as it's kind of a bummer that I don't stick to Maryland and just deal with all of the local interests for my work. Um, which is what I was getting at with the with opening up the conversation on next door. What I found was that a lot of people were like, oh, how can I get in with you? Like They didn't care about the legalities. They were just, how do I get your work? Um, that's the reason why I don't stay local to Maryland, too, is that I want to stay fresh and I want to see how other people are approaching the craft, what kind of things they're introducing, um, what kind of awarenesses are they trying to tackle and be a part of, you know, what are their ethics, what are their priorities. There's a lot of eco-friendly options out there that I might actually experiment with and see if I like. Um, but yeah, just stuff like that that tackle different issues that you might actually have passion for and want to be about and want to grow your particular brand of person. But in terms of what, what, what classifies, I guess, you enough to say that you are aware or savvy in something, um, there's a lot of usage of this term expert right now. And I guess I just want everybody to understand how far that term goes. And I'm, I'm going to wrap it with a joke that I learned and I, I hope you guys can appreciate. But there was a man who went to a doctor and he said, Doc, I have really bad headaches. It's excruciating. It's been going on for about a year now. I just don't know what caused it. I need your help. So the doctor was like, okay, we'll do an examination of you and we'll figure it out. So he does all of the, the tests and examination. He's like, sir, this is very unusual, but it would seem that your balls are actually pressing against the lower part of your spinal column. And that is causing a pinching of certain nerves that is causing you massive headaches. And the man is like, well, what do we do? And he said, well, I think the only thing that we can do is remove your testicles. And he's like, my testicles, these are my boys, man. Like, and, and the doctor's like, why? Well, I, I understand that. But, you know, have you had kids? He's like, yeah, I've already had my kids. And he's like, do you want more? He's like, no. And he's like, okay, well, then you don't really need them. And he's like, yeah, man, but these are, I mean, it, it's kind of, I'm going to have to think about it. Well, how much will it cost? And the doctor said, well, that's the other rub. It's a very delicate surgery. I don't want to, I don't want to hurt everything else that is needing to be what it needs to be in order for you to have a good, good time the rest of your life. So the cost of the surgery is 15,000. He was like 15,000. 
But as he's sitting there and he's contemplating all these things, he's got a terrible headache. He can't even see straight. I mean, just this, this whole appointment was exhausting. All of this just to figure out what was wrong was terrible. And he said, okay, doc, let's do it. So he has his balls removed and he feels like a new man. Instantly, the pain is gone. He feels great. So in in having this new leaf on life, he was like, well, I, I really want to do something for myself. I think it's time that I treat myself to something because I haven't felt this great in forever. So he goes into uh, a suit place to get a new suit. He's like, I, I need a new suit. This is the time to have a whole new me. So he meets this very elderly man who is there to help him. And uh, the older man says, what can I do for you, sir? He's like, well, I'd like to buy a new suit. And he said, well, you look like like 40, 44 tall. And he's like, oh, my God, that's incredible. Like, that's exactly my size. How did you know that? And the old gentleman is like, well, I've been doing this for forever. I'm sure I've been selling suits longer than you've been alive, sir. And he said, oh, well, this is great. I'm, I'm excited. So the the tailor got his his uh, size suit. He puts it on him. He's like, this fits like a glove. How about a new shirt? And uh, Taylor knows the exact size of the shirt, brings it out. He's like, this is incredible. He's like, I, I mean, I, I just love this. Like, let's go, let's go all the way down to the skivvies, man. I want a complete revolution. Let's, let's get new underwear. And he's like, okay, you're size 36. He said, oh no, I'm, ah, I got you. That's one you got wrong. He's like, I'm actually a 34. And the sales associate, the tailor said, oh no, sir. You're a size 36. If you were to wear a 34, that would be way too tight. Your balls would press against your spinal column and it would cause massive headaches. <laughs> so now that you guys hopefully have had a laugh, understand that an expert, quote unquote, can only tell you what they're an expert in. Did the man ultimately need to have his balls removed? Hmm. Or was that just what the surgeon saw as the problem? In truth, all this man needed was to treat himself early on, go get a new suit and talk to a gentleman who has extensive knowledge of how to fit for the right size underwear so that you don't have massive headaches. So please understand that in this world, I think the best thing to do is to never really assume that you're an expert in anything. Uh, get a multi-point perspective about how you're tackling a situation. Uh, look at all things from as many different angles as you possibly can. And even then, I wouldn't really necessarily claim to be an expert. Strive to be a student of life. And just realize that as much as it is permissible doesn't mean that it is morally okay. That, that the permit doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to safeguard you from anything. So that's, that's the short and the long of it this week. I hope that you have a fantastic rest of the week. God bless you all. If you need any, any help with any of the things that I talked about, whether it be an apprenticeship uh, Utah license, uh, USCCA, um, Guntry, any of these things. If you just want like a personal, I don't know, questionnaire, or if you have anything that you want to throw at me, 
please feel free to reach out. Uh, you can email me at theapprenticeshipdiaries at gmail.com or you can DM me uh, on the underscore apprenticeship underscore diaries on Instagram. Uh, there's also, um, I mean, I mean, you really can find me a lot of different ways. But if you go through those routes, I'll, I'll probably be very apt to respond to you. I look forward to it. Um, and if you want to give me any more information that I didn't talk about, please feel free. I would love that. Um, but either way, uh, God bless. Have a great week. And I love you. Thanks for listening. You can find The Apprenticeship Diaries on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our IG is the underscore apprenticeship underscore diaries. If you would like to offer constructive criticism or an interview, drop us an email at theapprenticeshipdiaries at gmail.com. We We look look forward forward to hearing from from our our listeners. listeners.